we're back. I Hello, guess we everybody. Go anywhere, everybody. We've been here the whole time. We just never hit the record button. <laughs> <laughs> we have been talking in the hallways and on video conference every week. It's just no one hit record. All right. Well, all kidding aside, for those of you that have been following along and subscribing to your feeds and subscribe on, on your favorite podcast re, uh, player, uh, it's good to be back. We're going to give it another shot. Uh, I'm Nabil. And I'm Bijan. What, what year did we start this, Bijan? If I were to guess, I would say 2016. We have been doing this for, for quite a while. You, no, you no, thought 2016. Episode one was three uh, years ago. 2012. <sighs> Seriously? 2012, my friend. We, we, we were in podcasting before it was really... Okay. Uh, Seven years ago. <laughs> yeah. Seven years ago, Bijan. <laughs> so, you know, it makes sense because, A, I'm looking at the photo of the podcast album art and we look younger and b this is when we were in the same hallway <laughs> <laughs> that's also right yeah unfortunately we've gone by coastal at this point I, I don't get to poke my head out the office and just say hi yeah i i, I think our first one was about uh what comes after Flickr was in the it was in the item yes, <laughs> yes. trying to date 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 that podcast oh my god all right well we'll put a link to the episode one in the uh, show notes all right. Well, we're back, and we have a few things we want to talk about. You want to you want to kick it off, man? Yeah. I mean, mind? The first thing I, I kind of had in my mind, I put it in our our little shared note here on Slate, was this idea of VC pattern recognition, and it's often cited as a um, as an asset amongst investors that you kind of see so many things and what's worked and what hasn't worked, and on different types of entrepreneurs, and and it got me thinking that like. If it was such a powerful asset, then number one, wouldn't most VCs keep getting better and better and better at this thing? Like, like literally either right. non-linear better performance or even logarithmic better performance, but certainly not like up and down, you know, which is, you know, you, you often see, but anyways, that's like thing one. And by the way, I'm not rendering a, an opinion, but it was kind of just rallying around my head. It seemed like it was leading towards an opinion. Well, no, I, I, I felt like you leading towards the, like maybe the, maybe the pattern recognition thing isn't a thing. Well, then thing two was like, this is, isn't this the perfect example of survivorship bias, you know, where, you know, you, you make 10 investments, 20 investments, 50 investments in your life. One turns out to be Google and all of a sudden, like, that's the one. Everyone anyway, should do the Google thing. Clearly, there's a benefit of seeing a lot of interesting ideas and different people every day, every week, every month. That's got to be a thing unless you're not listening uh, and observing. So it's not nothing. But I, I wanted to get your opinion on it. I, I kind of had some thoughts in my own head. But as usual, I'd love to hear your uh, thoughts on this whole idea of pattern recognition. Is it an asset? Is it a mixed bag? What, what's your take? My first experience of this is an was as an entrepreneur where I started you know, I'm trying to learn quickly. Uh, and so I go talk to a bunch of mentors and so on. And I had exactly the experience that you just talked about from other entrepreneurs. I think actually entrepreneurs give even, even worse advice sometimes than VCs, because maybe if the VCs had one experience with Google, they only have one story to tell. But ideally, if they've seen a bunch of outcomes, they will say, well, I saw it work this way one time, this other way another time, right? Because I really think each startup is, is its own unique little flower with its own unique little story. Um, and what you get, especially, frankly, with founders, I think it's much worse, where they really only had one experience. And especially if it's working, they very much fall in into the do the thing that I just did. 
And that was my experience as a founder. I would go talk to somebody and they would tell me what to do. And then I talked to another person and I'd get founder whiplash because the next person would tell me almost the exact opposite from what the previous person told me, even though I gave the same inputs into the system. So what's coming back out, right? And, uh, and, and eventually you pick out that like, no, actually they're just, it's like Mad Libs. They're just retelling their life. They just changed all of the nouns to your company name <laughs> and, and are replaying what made <laughs> them get what they are. Right. And I think hopefully you maybe, this is where I think actually really early VCs that have just gotten hot, this is actually, I think, a real risk. They're a little full of themselves um, if they don't have the right level of humility and empathy for the situation. Uh, and they haven't seen it work a couple of different ways, a bunch of different ways. And uh, so I, I think it's risky, but only risky depending on the personality. I really like our partner, Kevin, you know, who just has this very, you know, bottoms up, hey, there's an Apple way and the Apple way is really great. And there's also a Google way and the Google way is you can build a company that way too. And like, it's just different cultures and how you want to build things, right? Yeah, I, I, I it's no surprise. I, I really agree with a lot of what you said. And, and, and it really came to mind. I was meeting with an entrepreneur and he said to me, well, uh, I'm kind of, I'm not sure whether to go left or right here. Um, how did, how did Trello handle this? And, right. and it occurred to me that like, I got the, I got the validity of the question. I really did. Each company, as you said, is so unique. It's kind of like, well, like, you know, how Lennon and McCartney wrote music is like, like it, it kind of feels like it's not giving enough credit to the art of these companies versus, uh, you know, maybe we've all become so, uh, obsessed with these books and these blog posts and these essays that we forget like these things are, are way more unique and organic based on team, the founder, the product, like it's just too many, too many variables. I'll say the flip side though, is I think we are better at building culture and understanding how to build growth in companies and understanding how to make, we make a lot less mistakes in companies 10 years ago than companies 10 years before that. And so I don't want to lose sight of the fact that I do, there is no Bible. There's no startup Bible. There's no startup growth Bible. There's no startup culture Bible that tells you everything you should do in order to be successful. But, you know, Spark in many ways, when it first grew up, grew up in like the age of blogging. And uh, was you really sharing transparently what you were going through and seeing inside of these startups, um, along with Josh Koppelman at first round and Fred. And, and, and I know for me on the outside at that point in time, reading those things, it was a font of information that look, maybe I tossed out 75% of it. But without that, I had no inputs, right? And so I had so there's no, there's no MBA for doing this stuff. Uh, and so I think the important thing is just not take take it as gospel. But I actually I, I would, it'd be hard to say that like, I, I last thing I would want is for a founder to suddenly think that the right thing to do is to not listen to anything anybody's saying, because I do think inputs into the system, the, the number of inputs you can get are great, as long as you just don't, you know, just because I don't know, just because Bill Gurley said it or Bijan said it or blah, blah, blah said it doesn't mean that it's right. Um, it's not doctrine, I guess, probably is the wording. Right. Right. Just information. Yeah, I agree. Okay, cool. We're not arguing. Um, that makes it less interesting. Yeah, I know. I'll go to the next topic. <laughs> the next thing, yeah. All right, so this one uh, got some headlines last week because of the you know the current environment, but also the, given the, the company involved. So Apple was mentioned recently because some contractors, I, I don't know if it was a whistleblower. I, I don't know exactly how this information came out, but basically the story went that Apple contractors were uh, having access to Siri queries, queries on, on the Siri uh, service. And, and the noteworthy thing is like, A, um, people didn't know it, B, or did they? And B, uh, this is a company that has really stood on the pedestal in terms of consumer privacy, digital rights, 
um, you know, talking about, you know, respecting uh, users' data, et cetera. I mean, like they are, are really- This is just a ridiculous story, Bijan. This yeah. is, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This Tell is me what part is ridiculous. <laughs> uh, it, it's, uh, so you have a voice device on your watch and on your phone called Siri, and you are speaking into it when you say, hey, Siri. So this is not, you know, I, I had actually, this came up from somebody totally outside of tech, uh, that actually like a parent of a kid that plays Pokemon with my kid uh, on the weekend. So you could see how far this traveled. And he's like, oh, is Apple listening to all the things on my Apple watch now? And I have to take it off. And I'm like, what is this story? And I look it up. Right. And it turns out that like, hey, it, sometimes people say a thing that sounds like, hey, Siri. And then the device turns on. I'm sorry if I just turned on everybody. No, I was looking to see it funny today. Yeah. yeah. And, and then it records the next thing that people say. Is that some evil company invasion of privacy insane thing? Like, no, that is just you are recording voice. And then, much like all the tosses say, do you have somebody who's looking at that voice reco and trying to make sure that Siri as a voice reco is working pretty well so they can correct the mistakes and get the machine learning better? Is there somebody anonymously looking at the anonymized data somewhere overseas to see if the math is working out? Of course there is. There's just no scandal here. It's no surprise. And, and I, I just, it's an, an example of, I, I think, the difference between being, you know, the reporter and press's role as critics, which I wholeheartedly endorse. My dad was a reporter for 25 years, and their role as cynics. And, and, uh, and, and this just, it just feels over the line. Like it's not, like it's a voice record device, it's, it's a microphone. It happened to turn on because you said the words that make it turn on or something really, really close to it. And then of course that's being quality assured. Like I don't, I don't understand, it's like the message isn't, oh, they also knew who the author was. The message isn't Apple decided to turn it on randomly to like record you to like give that to the FBI or something. Right. It's like, it's not that big a deal. Go like, there's so many like actual real ethical issues <laughs> that large big tech companies are, are, are wandering into. Like let's spend more time talking about that. Well, okay. I, I, I don't know if I agree with you here. So the biggest problem with this is you're not concerned because you're saying, of course, this is how the system has to work, get better, et cetera, et cetera. That's a voice system. But like, I don't think the user knows. I mean, you know, I think, I think those of us in this industry understand what's going on here, but do you think the average user knows that when they talk into Siri, there's some like general, there's some contractor in Virginia that's listening to the query? You know, when you call Comcast to right. try to cancel your your, right. your call may be recorded in order for quality assurance, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, somebody, some manager might listen to it later. So I, I don't I don't know that I think it's a big deal. But but again, we can we can defer. Yeah. Uh, and maybe every time you talk in a Siri, it should say back to you. Uh, this, yeah. this, this thing might be recorded. I mean, what are they supposed to do? Right? Well, I, I have a theory and then this may be, I'm going on the line of crazy town, but I have a theory that the reason why Comcast says that is probably a, they have to do it for some legacy law around legacy phone lines. But the other one is probably they piss off so many customers that they have some data model that says like, if they tell you that you're being recorded, like you'll behave yourself a little better. <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> Maybe so. But no, but the thing with the Apple issue is that uh, all they have to do is tell you once. Like they don't tell you every single time, which they don't do. That's thing one. Thing two is is that that um, Siri interaction is not triggered just on those that phrase. Like the new Apple, the new OS to Apple Watch is when you lift up your wrist, it does right. the thing. So I think for the company that's trying to like have the moral high ground here, they, this one is uh, not. A Where good would you draw the line for them then? Because they do want quality assurance, they do want it to get better. Right, his voice. Uh, they're not. This isn't them 
trying to sell the data to somebody else. This isn't them like having some, like figuring out who the author is and then using that data to like extort somebody or post it online or the execs are listening to it and laughing at somebody. Like this is, they're trying to make voice reco work better and they are listening to things to try and make sure things are the product. Yeah, I think, I think when you set up your, so your device. What would you, well, what, yeah, what do you want it to do that would make it feel like it's more? I think when you set up your device, just like when you set it up, you get this prompt of like, do you want to add your credit card to Apple Pay? And then it goes, do you want, you got to do this thing for the face ID thing, you got to put your head in motion. And it's like, hey, do you want to set up uh, Siri? And then it, gives, it tells you to do those phrases. At that point, it should say, it should tell you what's up. It should just say. That's fair. You know. I think I think that's okay. I think that's fine. I, I just I, I'm not sure that that needs the histrionics around it. But I but I, I that's that's good like cleansiness like like you know. Sure. And, and I'm, I'm particularly I'm particularly hyped on this issue. Not so much for this one, but I kind of feel like they're supposed to be the role model. And in a world where it's this you know slippery slope thing, like, um, and it kind of leads me to my next topic. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. the the. Uh, you know, news came out this week, Apple's earnings, their iPhone sales are for the first time less than half of the company's revenue. So this company now has to like organize a bit around non-hardware uh, revenue. And so you can see what they're doing. They're doing credit card services, cloud services, you know, bundled. They had record revenue. So let's be clear. Like, so their narrative is they're becoming less and less dependent on the iPhone for revenue. Right. So in a world where they need to, to create other revenue streams that are not hardware based yep. where, you know, gross margins are 60, 65, 70% and, and, and they're selling like crazy. They're doing other things. So in a world where, you know, we trust them because we always thought of them as the hardware company. Like they're not the data company. They're this the is the conversation I had with that, with that pokey, with that, with that dad, which is like, Hey, the thing you have to realize when you think about, you know, Google or Facebook is it's not just, are they good or bad? It's just what incentives matter. Right. Incentives matter. Let's look back at the incentives. And Google and Facebook are have to monetize your data. That's how they operate as a free service. Apple, it's not even that they're better or worse, to be honest. It, 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 at least they haven't really been fully tested there because they make their money on the hardware. They don't right. care. They can right. be good about your data because they don't need to make the money off your data because you're willing to buy an iPhone. Exactly. So in a world where like iPhone sales continue on this trajectory, um, are they going to be more tempted to do bad stuff? Mm. You know what I mean? Like, is yep. this the door opening? All of a sudden, like they got they got to run through this door um, incrementally as a result of the. And, and you're just going to buy like more. Apps. That, you're just going to buy more apps. That that's that's what they. <laughs> the, I mean, I mean, I, the, you're going to buy more apps and more movies and more media from them, and and that's what they're going to trend to. Would be my guess. It's going to feel closer if they can't invent the next thing in hardware, which we should get to in a second. What is that thing? But but if they can't invest the next thing, I think they 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 Google and Facebook look look more and more like each other as information selling companies, and Amazon and Apple I think look closer and closer together in in like not that Apple suddenly selling selling you a television, um, but they're selling you things you know digital media. In right, this. right. That's my guess. Okay, I think I know what you're going to say, but let me ask you one hypothetical. You're talking to your wife. She's in the kitchen. You're in the TV room. Uh, wherever you watch TV and you guys are going to watch a movie after dinner and you say to her, Hey, um, what movie do you want to watch? And she's like, oh, I really want to watch a, um, a, um, a sci-fi movie. Yeah. And you go great. Let's watch something. Uh, let's watch a sci-fi movie. And then you, you fire up Apple TV and it goes right to the sci-fi channel. 
because it, mm-hmm. it hurt you. Is that is that a good feature or uh, not a good feature? You mean I didn't trigger it? It just you, it. you just, just have it. to be. Yeah. So I, I'm totally happy, and I think honestly, consumers for all the hoi polloi about about privacy and all the rest, that's like they have picked time and time and time again convenience. Yeah. Uh, like they just want technology to serve them, and so the real answer to that is is a little bit roundabout but it's just is it more convenient or less convenient and if it's less convenient because the thing like pops up constantly and like false you know uh false positives all day long then it's less convenient and i hate the thing right right, right. It, 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 it works it, yeah if it really works and it's convenient and it saves me from going over to pick up the remote uh everybody everybody do you have do you have a different opinion i i i share that view i just i can't help but wonder if what we're giving up today feels is going to feel jarring in the future, you know, like different web service access. When you say, you know, access my address book, you kind of think twice about it today. Whereas like three years ago or five years ago was a feature, not a bug. Like, like when this new app says, Hey, upload your address book. You're like, yeehaw, make this happen. You know, get my social graph going. You know? Well, and- Bishan, would it feel different if it, if that thing was an Apple TV and it was also now owned by Google. So let's just really amalgamate. Let's let's yeah. talk about bundling and bundling. If, yes. if Google and Apple are the same company and that product is from Apple and therefore it's tied into the rest of your entire identity and everything on the internet and your phone and everything else, does that feel different than if it was the same thing, but it was, um, I use this universal remote control system from Cavo that I really love. So if it was Cavo and all they're doing is helping you control your television and that's that's it. Yeah. Does that feel different to you? I think it does and it may just be more it may just be revealing that I kind of feel I'm I'm I have a little concern that the apple that I fell for for the last couple decades is like something is is changing. It's like this combination of like iPhone sales dropping in importance and at the same time they're announcing a credit card they're shipping a flipping credit card with Goldman Sachs. I mean, like, this is not like the Apple II hacking machine. This is like, it's a new day over there. And and I kind of feel like all the, you know, credits they've, they've accumulated, like social credits, like it's a big bank of credits they've got for good reason. Um, but, you know, like, it's a, it's a thing. I, I, the reason I kind of asked that leading question is wasn't actually tr- trying to uh, demolish Apple. Um, I think they do have a lot of goodwill uh, that they can either eat, eat away at or continue to build at for some time. It's that I think, I think the bundling creates the tension. I think this idea that this thing has a bunch of tentacle controls into your life creates this, this, this weight and this tension that consumers I could see reacting to. Like, I, like I, I think we, you know, we, we may find that single purpose devices, I mean, I, I find in my life that we've talked about this some already that, that I, I lean towards single purpose devices. Um, I use a remarkable tablet, uh, you know, to, to take notes on, I could take notes on an iPad, but it's first of all, not as good. Uh, and remarkable tablets, you know, is e-ink tablet that just is really for taking notes. Right. And it's single purpose. I could theoretically do it on an iPad. But of course, on the iPad, uh, I also will find myself suddenly, I, I went to go take notes and think for a little while. And then suddenly I'm like 45 minutes into a YouTube video and I'm laughing and I'm like, ah, and, you know, or I'm looking at Instagram photos of landscapes and, you know, like, and, and so that single purpose matters. There's, um, there's that light phone, which is like just a, just a feature phone. It like literally doesn't do anything else but make phone calls that you might want to take out when you're going out on like, you know, a date with your date night with your spouse. And you're just like, I don't want distractions. Um, I actually think of the Amazon Echo this way too. 
right? Although it's tied into all of Amazon, right? Which is a little bit iffy, but like the Echo, it's like, it's like your first invisible computer. Right. Uh, and, and actually as much as Amazon seems to shove in like a thousand skills into it every single day, right. the truth is that like it basically everyone I've ever talked to about the Echo, like it does four things like pretty well and that's it and like it's like the kid can ask it to tell jokes you can set alarms uh i don't know there's like you know and and music control yeah. it's a music control device and so that and that's that's great and there's like power in that actually instead of the, the it has to be it has to follow the same thread and line that computing personal computing originally did which was starting you know singular purpose and then becoming this massive general purpose thing um i think the the unbundling of consumer electronics might be might be what consumers lean into so that you don't fall into this world where, you know, you, you went in for one thing, you're doing another thing, so on and so forth. It's just good at doing one thing well. Right. Do, you, do you think then um, the Apple Watch having an app store was a mistake? Do you think it should just do less? I wonder how the Apple Watch would feel different if it was one, not from Apple, which we did have that experience with Pebble. Right. And then two, if there were, you could like only have three apps on it at a time or something yeah. like that. It was something you know, with the new version of watchOS, they're launching an apps, like an actual untethered app store on your wrist. I, I, I just think it's, it's confusing. It's the wrong way. And I know why Apple's doing that. Cause they have a different vision. They, you know, they have the 10 year vision that you're no longer carrying your phone around at all, right. That you're carrying around glasses on your head and a watch on your wrist and that's your computing device. And so it has to become a general purpose machine because they want to get rid of the iPhone. But I actually think we may go to a world where you have a few things that do a few things really, really, really well. Um, it, it's kind of like, I don't know, it goes back to the same, the, all these feelings, which is like, it, it's the analogy I have is like, I think we're getting to the point where we understand how this technology is making us feel, not just its functionality. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's causing a reaction, right? And so, so we might pick things on design and emotion and like, just how do they fit in our life? And in that world, I think simplicity might mean it does one thing or two things really well just for me. I don't know. How do you, how do you react to that? I, I think I, it makes sense to me a lot. I mean, the reason I shoot an old, you know, 50 year old analog film camera is because of the feel. I mean, it's, it, it does one thing like my film camera can't do 4k video. It can't like, right. Can't do a boomerang video to Instagram. Like it, it, it does one thing. Um, on the other hand, like my phone is the ultimate Swiss army knife. Like it does, you know. Yeah, but that's the freedom you have, right? Because you have the phone to, as you think of it as like your phone over some period of time stops becoming the primary device. It becomes the backup device and you have it for the things you love to do the most. You have single purpose devices right. and then everything else that's like not covered by those two or three things that are your personal passion. You have this all purpose, all everything thing in your pocket. Yeah. Um, and, and for those single purpose things, I think, I think emotion... I think, frankly, artistry design, like that EQ side of things start to matter the same way that, um, I, don't, it, I don't know, it feels, and this is going to be a little bit of thought, no, but like, it's like a little bit like, it, you know, if we think about like the food movements, for, first we figured out how to make a bunch of food. And then there was like 1950s where it was like food equals science. And we were like, oh my gosh, we can make like Cheetos and microwave dinners. And like, look at all the crazy things we can do with these chemicals. And then eventually enough time passed by and you're like, you're now that we can do everything. We're like, but how does this stuff make us feel? Right. And what does it do to our bodies? And I feel like we're, we're basically entering that era for technology, where now that it can really start to get to the point where it can do everything, we can ask that second order question, right? Which is like, okay, fine. But which, how, you know, this is, I think, some of the backlash to like, how does, how does Facebook really make me feel when I use it every single day? Right. 
Right. Um, can we build a social network that actually has more positive than negative feedback loops in my own emotion? Like, I think we'll, we'll enter that age. And I think the companies that can probably build those kinds of products will, well, I don't know. I don't know about the rest of the world, but I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to use them. I'm going to gravitate towards them. Yeah. I, 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 I feel the same exact way. Um, all right. Hey, do you still use an Apple watch? I think you do, right? Drive and, my wrist. Yep. And, and, um, are you happy with it? Why? <laughs> Is that what you wanted to ask? Well, like, like, let's say it broke today. Would you, would you get one tomorrow? Like, let's say it died. It was stolen. It was smashed, whatever. The less I pick up my phone, the better I feel. And so if I can take the, the glanceable actions um, that sometimes, you know, 4% to 8% of the time that gl I use glanceable actions on my phone, again, I end up on YouTube or Instagram or somewhere else and I'm like answering emails and I'm, and I'm 20 minutes in. And so if I can take those glanceable actions, which are really only supposed to be a, a second, and I can move those to my watch, um, then I get closer and closer to the, I don't have a phone in my pocket at all. And so I don't have that temptation and I just feel better. So I still do the thing that, that we talked about before, Bijan, where when I walk in the door at home, I put my phone on the charger and it's not in my pocket when I'm in the house. And so I can still, if I get a text or something, I can still look at my watch, but it's separating out the, I need to keep a little bit informed with what's yeah. going on yeah. from the, I need to deep dive and get sucked into my computer. Phone down move on the watch is, is a good move. I, I went back to an analog watch just because I, I wanted less stuff going on, but I, that, that's, that's the best move. I mean, it's, it's well understood now, but the notification layer is, is if, you, if you dial it back, it's, uh, it's a great thing. The uh, thing I pit, that, that really annoys me about Apple is that I, I, I want it to be my notification device yeah. and it's intelligence around notifications about what it's pu pushing onto the watch and why it's telling me things is just completely non-existent, which is unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. Um, what else do you want to talk about with ambient devices and these other devices and anything else on your mind? No, I mean, that's the big stuff. I think, well, I mean, the, the segue from that is like, who's making those, those next generation devices? You know, we, we were chatting a little bit earlier about Kickstarter and like that used to be the place where you were like, oh, where, where, where are the next set of things coming out? And you kind of, you know, go through that and feel that sense of real, I don't know, for a little while, like hardware optimism. Uh, are you still optimistic about the stuff that's coming through there? Yeah, I mean, in a way, I just kind of thought about this. In a way, the Kickstarter is like, if you think about it, as, you can either think about it as like like a store, mm -hmm. um, and it, it would probably not be a great store, um, or you can think about it as like a nonprofit, um, like I'm just I'm donating, and if something happens, it's great. But otherwise, I'm, I'm kind of just backing artists or creative endeavors, right. and I, I don't want anything back. Yeah. Um, but that's not really what they pitch. But like that would be another way of looking at it. Or, or a third way of looking at it is just like a lot of stuff comes to the top of the of the funnel, as it were, or the top of like big a lot of ideas. The volume is there, and then a few things come out that are unbelievable. Like you mentioned earlier, remarkable, remarkable came out of that, right? It was a Kickstarter project, I believe. Oculus launches a Kickstarter project, and so it feels like it's still a very important platform. But as I look at my back projects. Um, I was just thinking about it. Like I, I just put down a bunch of money for uh, a new tripod by a company called Peak Design. It's a carbon tripod for those that follow stuff. That's not a cheap tripod, you know. And the company's got a track record, but like you know, I pre-ordered it. It may come out this year. It may not. Like it just made me stop and think. Like uh, you know, why why didn't I wait for this thing to come out? And I wonder if it's us as like VCs that were drawn to something that could be built. Um, 
It may not be built. They may come late. Probably be late. Like, is but it catching those nerves? You figure, you figure they, they've shipped a bunch of stuff before, both on Kickstarter and off. You own probably things by them already. You, you know that thing's going to ship. It's yeah, probably going to be late, but you know. The thing it. I bought was this kick at, I mean, this really cool USB drive hub that never came, but I, I did that. Like, I don't know. Like, yeah. I'm still waiting on my Omni treadmill for, for VR. Yeah. Uh, that, that's four, four years ago or something like that. I, right. I, I backed that, I think. I think I, so, I, yeah, I think I've backed. I mean, remarkable. I just looked at this because you brought it up. Like, I, I've done 27, I backed 27 projects on Kickstarter that were successfully finished, another 15 unsuccessful. Um, of all of those, four uh, of the successful ones, four have not shipped, but all the rest of them have shipped. Now, some of those are board games and you know music and stuff like that, but a, there's a decent number of hardware, and, and inside of that is stuff that I, I use today. Um, you know, the early Oculus kits, uh, the Nomiku uh, sous vide machine um, uh, ratio, this coffee, um, uh, coffee machine that I absolutely love. Uh, came up there as well. Like, there's some real stuff that has come through there. And if you just think about that ratio, I mean, I think for some people, they would be like, that's an obscene ratio. Uh, but but maybe it's the, yeah, again, maybe it's the entrepreneur VCs and us that like, like, I don't know, that's a great ratio for me. Like, I feel like the world needs more experiments. Uh, what I worry it's becoming is exactly what you just mentioned, which I think it's more it's less experiments that to see whether they're going to manifest themselves in the world. Yeah. And it's just a pre-order platform now. Like it's, it's I think, mostly uh, either really low-risk artistic projects where you know it's going to happen anyway and it's just supporting the artist earlier, kind of almost closer to Patreon, um, or pre-ordering something that you have a really high likelihood, like, oh, they've shipped 15 things before, I own three things already, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and, and I think that's great to live in the world. It probably shouldn't be a Kickstarter, quite frankly. It should feel more like pre-ordering. Uh, that the product probably doesn't match its use case at this point. But I actually wish we had the thing that Kickstarter was supposed to be. Uh, and, and maybe the manifestation of the, you've got to hit a certain threshold, so you set an arbitrary number. I mean, I think the big thing that was broken about that idea was that you had to have a conception both of your internal budget, like what does it actually mean to ship this thing, and also what the demand for uh, your product would be. And if those things were apart, because you had to get a successful project, you had to cross them to get any money at all. So if you felt like, oh, knowing my audience, I can probably raise a million dollars, but this thing makes is going to take four million to get out the door, you were incentivized to put up a million dollar project, even though you know it's going to take four million to get out the door. And that tension is uh, just leads to a bunch of failed projects and a bunch of delays and like, oh, I raised the money, but now I got to go raise funding from somewhere else to even you know, fulfill the issue. And, and that's where I think it, it kind of went wrong. But the idea or concept... That part, I, I think that gap between, you know, call it aspiration and reality or whatever, ambition and reality, like I, I, my sense is that gap was not intentional, like with the creator. I think they, it was a... I don't think it was an abuse of the platform. I just think it was a, an example of uh, naivete of the project, no? No. Really? Maybe, maybe maybe early days, but I have had too many conversations with too many folks who uh, went in uh, knowingly kind of, especially as, as the platform started to evolve uh, and people get little numbers back on the size of their mailing list and early demand. Like. And then it is a platform uh, shortcoming because I remember in the early days in particular, I, I don't know if it's true now, obviously n neither one of us are investors at the company Kickstarter, but like yeah. um, they were curating the heck out of that thing. Like you couldn't just create a listing. I mean, you had to pass, um, 
you know, through the, the curation gate. And so as a result, if, if that was really, if that gap was being exploited, then that was a platform problem because uh, they were being basically qualified and sussed out. Uh, yeah, I can only talk to the conversations I've had <laughs> yeah. where someone would come to me and, or I would even go to them. I would see something on Kickstarter or another platform and, and reach out and be like, this is kind of cool. Let's have a conversation. I don't know. Clearly in the first 10 minutes, be like, well, we're trying to raise 2 million. We think this thing's going to be a million of it. We need the other half to be able to ship. And uh, I had enough of those conversations. I mean, obviously the market that seems to have worked for Kickstarter is places where the budgets are really, really low. Right. And so all of the market demand is upside. It's really just paying for production. It's, it, it really is pre-orders. Like bo board games is an amazing category on Kickstarter that is, uh, I think, a, a kind of a little bit overlooked um, reason why uh, board games have had a massive explosion in the last five years in the industry. That market's going like crazy. There's a bunch of new interesting stuff. And a lot of that is because, look, it's some cardboard to make. Yeah, like it's it's yeah. just creative energy and yeah. cardboard. And then the backside of that is manufacturing and you don't know how much to manufacture. And so Kickstarter becomes the pre-ordering platform for understanding how many you should manufacture and helping to finance that. That feels very, very doable. The we're going to need 15 million bucks to build a consumer electronics product. Uh, I don't think, and, and we also don't understand demand on the flip side of that. Right. That's still, I think there's some product as of yet that has not been created that that will help folks understand demand for this thing that they have an idea for. But we're not there yet. That's why, um, forgive me for the pun, but the remarkable story is remarkable. But we, we can talk about this <laughs> uh, Well done. Yeah, I got this other thing on my head, which is like, you know, maybe just, there is this notion of like winner takes all or winner takes most. And, you know, but kind of as I think about this, like how true is any of this stuff? Like, like oh, the, the kind of how many natural monopolies are there? Yeah, I mean, like, and then, you know, you got people talking about, like, moats and, and, and monopolies and, uh, and all this stuff. And then I, I kind of just think about the scale and size of these companies. And, like, yeah, Uber is bigger than Lyft. But you're, if you're an early Lyft employee, uh, investor, you'd be quite happy. You know, Facebook is considered, like, the juggernaut in social. But, like, Snapchat, um, you know, and Twitter are real viable companies worth tens of billions of dollars you know, they delight hundreds of millions of people every day. Like, like it's not, um, you know, you have Slack, you have other products, you have Dropbox, you have Box. Like, I, it just, uh, I've just been thinking about this idea of like, you know, you have Bird, you have Lime. Like, it's just, um, I think this kind of boogeyman fear kind of thing of like, you know, you can't do X because of Y, like, I, I just, uh, I'm, I'm just kind of revisiting it in my own mind. I mean, uh, you know, for a long time, it's like, oh, you know, eBay is this gorilla. And then like, you know, clearly that's not true. Like there's plenty of marketplaces for all sorts of things around like sneaker wear, uh, you know, culture. Yeah, let alone, by the way, like can yes. also, by the way, usually buy the thing on eBay as well as Amazon. Yes, 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 exactly. So it's kind of like as we evaluate like and meet entrepreneurs, like, how much of this thing should really be in play? I, I, I find myself falling into this all the time, as you know, of like thinking about, you know, should I be hesitant in one area if somebody else seems to be ahead a bit? Like, kind of. Bijan, this is like, this should be the lead. This is like VC sacrilege. You're, you're saying may, maybe competitive barriers to entry uh, are, are, are not a thing or not as much of a well, thing? Or, or is it just that if the, if, if the idea is that disruptive or if the market's that big, does it matter? Like, because it's going to be enormous. I mean, it's just like, you know, Look, you have, 
I'm just thinking about this in real time, but like, look at, look at Cruise. I mean, is, is I, I was going to say like, I, I'm currently on the, like, okay. So I'm currently on the board of four companies right. that are valued over a billion dollars. Right. So, or, uh, or have, have, have massive competition, right? But that's Cruise, Cruise, Postmates, Sonder and Discord. Right. All four of them, uh, Postmates certainly has competition and it's a good business. Sonder, there's like 20 venture-backed companies in their space. Now, they're larger than all the other ones combined, but still, like, I, I don't think those companies are going away, and I don't think Sonder is going to be the only player in that market. Um, and certainly, Discord is not the only place you can message with people and talk with people and do voice with people. Um, and, and yet, I think all those companies are very healthy and growing. Some of them even fit into your you know, the network, the typical Valley, you know, network effects, barriers to entry, small group communication, like, like all of those check boxes. And there's still, of course, other options. Right. If that's really true, it's interesting to think of as a rubric because it's a, it's a, it's kind of a truism. Well, it's certainly true. Like, let's say mobile handheld devices, right? Like, you know, it is winner takes most to date, right? I mean, it's not saying that every category, but it just feels like, I have definitely felt scared off in certain time at certain times in, in my life and in investing because I felt like, how are they going to really build something durable, differentiated, unique in a crowded market? Like, if I told you the amount of meetings I've had where like, I just don't feel comfortable, the market to the hero feels super crowded. Like, yeah. it's, it's a weekly conversation. <laughs> right? yeah. But in a world where you have all these, you know, successful companies in highly crowded markets, um, I guess it's making me pause a bit. Well, so let me try something and then just see if this connects. Um, the reason you're having a, a that reaction to that founder who comes in and is pitching something in a super crowded market is because they don't have a fundamentally differentiated insight. It's not that they have some network thing that is like, they're going to last forever. It's like you actually feel like the product itself today is not you know version 2.0 of the thing in the market. It's ostensibly same, same. They don't have some fundamental market insight. It's not 10x better than the thing that is already pre-existing or the thing that everybody else has there. Now, the second question after that, if you get through that point, you know, oh, wow, this is an amazing product. This is definitely better than the other stuff out there is, okay, now how long, how long is that edge going to last? No competitive edge, I think, really, really lasts forever, especially in technology. Like, I don't think we get to invest, you know, the way that, you know, Soros talks about you know, a good investment for him is if he could fire the entire management team and, and the company just keeps on going. And, and like, that's not us. It's, it, and especially if we're in a world where there's constant and regular innovation. And so really, maybe the deeper question is, you know, one, do you have an insight that, i.e., do you have an insight that gets you better than the competition today? Two, making a judgment both for you as a founder on yourself and us as investors do you have an engine of innovation? Do you have an innovative culture that is also going to generate the next thing? Because to go back to your earlier Apple conversation, I don't think your nervousness is actually about the, the iPhone being 50% less of revenue. I think your worry is that they are becoming less of an innovative culture, that they're not going to invent the next new thing. Right. And that can happen when you're 40 years old at Apple. It can happen, frankly, for most startups, six months in, a year in, two years in, they come with one small insight and they just never double down, never double down, never double down, right? Facebook didn't start with the feed. Uh, you know, YouTube didn't start with its own website. Like all of these companies needed to actually keep innovating uh, in order to keep growing. Uh, and, and maybe that's more of the, I don't know how we, how do you, I don't, it feels so subjective of a measure, but, but I think that's really the thing. Right. It's A, it's subjective. You're right. And then B, it's like, 
any evidence you see in this like near term window, it, it doesn't necessarily mean like that's that's the thing you can kind of like hang your hat on for the next five years, never mind three years from now. I mean, like, you know, um, you know, if if I don't I don't want to disparage other startups, but like, you know, you've seen companies come out of the gate strong and then they just they they don't they don't cross over. Keep pushing. Yeah. Right. So I yeah, I mean it's like when I think about companies that like, oh, you know, I never met these founders, but I, I if I did, I, I'd like to think that I would have gotten involved. But there are plenty of companies where I would have said, you know what, if I had met the founder then, I probably wouldn't know. And and it's because of this question of, of barriers to entry. Like like Netflix to me is is like the perfect example. Like knowing the kind of investor that I am today, if I had met that team then, I, I, there's no way I would have got first, first of all, shipping plastic desks to people, <laughs> like, whatever. And then and then even like version two of streaming, it just felt like it was aggregation and anybody can get these rights. And what's the barrier to entry? But like this barrier to entry question is like, it's just been banging around in my head for a while because we've been like training ourselves around words like moats and and monopolies that maybe there's something much more primitive that we should be thinking about. I, I think we should I think we should come back to this another time. I think it's a really good conversation and it's probably not solvable in five minutes. But <laughs> Yeah, the, the counter to it is is look, we just talked about eBay, right? right. eBay is a large public company. Right. Uh, they're a viable business. Yes. Uh, there are other competitors, but at the same time, they haven't innovated in I don't know how long, right? Like that that is basically a one page. It is a two page website. The 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 search page and the listings page, and there's a bunch of stuff around it. But but you know, fundamental innovations like none basically. Right. Right. Uh, and that's very different than the world Apple has had to be in, than the world Netflix has had to be in. Um, you know, frankly, even like a lot of the portfolio companies that we've been in, uh, and, and that, that have had to innovate over time, but you know, eBay, Twitter, Twitter, Twitter's basically the exact same product. It was, uh, you know, a long time, time ago, there are riffs around the edges. You could actually criticize them for not innovating enough, but like, it's a large public viable company that it's still a little text box you type into and then little, little stuff comes afterwards and you read those things. And most of their other experiments have not gotten enough traction to become the core behavior. Whereas what I give credit for Netflix for is the core behavior is different, like right. very different. Right. Oh, they would have been dead otherwise. But um, yeah, although that recommendation engine, oof, uh, that's a tough one. Um, I think I think it's a really important point, and it's I think it's pretty clear we're missing something. Yeah. Hey, I, I just had another thing on my on my. My, I, I don't know if you want to talk about it. We don't have to. We can end the podcast. But it's like you and I kind of kicked off the summer before we got back to work with like a off the grid thing. And uh, I, I don't know. What do you What do you want to talk about other than like I didn't get a great trip? Well, it's like two hyper connected humans, you know, who love technology, love the internet, love. Um, yet we both chose to take our families in a place that like none of that existed, and. Uh, well, I, I mean, just I went to Alaska for for a couple of weeks with my family, and and it is a very remote place where where, where there was like nothing. I mean, you know, for eight days we had zero connectivity, hundred uh, percent zero connectivity, and and I I just feel like coming back was super jarring. I mean, it just felt like I, I just felt crowded. I felt like overwhelmed at times. I felt uh, you know my my iMessage is like like lit up like a Christmas tree. It's like blinking at me. You know, I just felt, uh, it was re-entry was super hard. I mean, I've, I've had other, you know, times in my life, certainly where I've turned things off or whatever, but 
But eight days straight, I'm, I'm actually signing up for a retreat. I'm going to do a 10-day silent retreat next year. And that's, you know, a version of this. Um, but for whatever reason, I think, I think the fact that it was combined with, you know, everything off and being in a remote place, the double whammy, it wasn't just like I came home one day, I put my phone in the drawer. It was like I was away. I found that like some combination of amazing, you know, and uh, jarring is the only way I can put it. Um, it's, I think it's easy to just throw out the platitude that it's like, oh, it's a good thing to do every once in a while right. and so on and so forth, which, which, which it is. Um, I think what I reflected on from that experience was that, uh, I, look, I think a lot of entrepreneurship and a lot of investing is, um, trying to remain, remain, de- remain sensitized. So like, like in other words, you know, to be, in order to be a good founder, I always think of it as like, you have to be easily annoyed. Because we, we, we like, we really quickly habituate to all the problems around us. But of course, the issue of a founder is solving a problem, right? So you have to see the problem in order to be able to solve it. And so I think distance um, is important to that. There's a reason I live in the East Bay and not in San Francisco. I'm trying to like find that monicum of heterogeneity in my social groupings and the, the things that I talk about with people that's not just like a bunch of, I don't know, I don't want to, it's not, I don't want to be 100% techies all the time, right? And uh, and this is a version of that. I, I I think what's valuable about it is 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 that difficulty of reentry. It's not just a break, and that's great. But I think like our job is to not sit inside the echo chamber because uh, I think you, then you lose perspective. Yeah. So I think that's actually the value. Was I came back and actually a lot of these thoughts again about about single purpose computing and being computing came from this feeling that like the when I came back the phone just felt like a thing that I wanted to use for one thing. And then it like, it just, you know, it drags you back into like 10 other things. And and that had not really come to mind before. Yeah. Yeah. That's the value of going away. Yeah. Although the going away, look also, I mean, I was in Northern Norway, the going away in and of itself has value. It was beautiful. Oh, totally. It was more just the the reentry part that to me was way harder than I, I predicted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, cool. We should do this again. I, I think we should do it again very soon. I'm going to put you on the spot. You want to do it again next week? Yes, let's do it. We had an idea. Maybe we're just shooting to a high of like having also guests on. Anyway, I'll talk to you about it when we hit the record button and we turn it off. But yeah, let's do this again next week. We're, we're going to do this. No, no, no. On the record, we're doing this next week with another person. Let's, let's do it next week. Done. <laughs> Got it. All right. Thanks, Emil. <laughs> Thanks. Take Thanks, care, everybody. Man. Bye.